Well, we've heard some good music. Uh, hearts are ready now for the breaking of the bread of life. I pray you'll listen to the man of God. I don't know your spiritual condition. Only you and God know. But if you need to deal with the Lord, do it. Listen to his voice and obey God. You'll be glad you did. Especially if you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ. Our prayer is that you'll come to know him as Lord and Savior as we do. He loves you. He proved it 2,000 years ago on a cross. He put his life on that cross to redeem us. He gave his life. He took my place in your place. So tonight, may the Holy Spirit move in your heart. May he convict you and may he draw you to the Lord. Brother Randy. Amen. All right, we're glad to see you here on this Wednesday evening of our week-long revival meeting. And we appreciate Lone Mountain Baptist Church tonight. We miss Wagon Wheel Baptist Church tonight as they have their own Wednesday night service down there in Henderson. And so we're looking forward to them being back tomorrow night and Friday. We're looking forward to being there all next week. And so praise the Lord, you're here tonight. This is Wednesday night. Seems like a good Wednesday night crowd, so we're happy to see you. We welcome you. If there's any first-time visitors, thank you for coming. And the rest of you home folk, we're always glad to see you. So appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. And I know we go Sunday through Friday. Sometimes that gets a little wearisome for some. And so uh, I'm glad you've chosen to be here. You know, it is a choice. Nobody forces you to come back here night after night. Uh, we just had elections. It's kind of like being a politician that uh, you got to cast your ballot. <laughs> so you cast your ballot for the Lord Jesus. Cast your ballot for Lone Mountain. Cast your ballot for this evangelist. So thank you for uh, voting tonight. Thank you for voting for the Lord and for this place. And so we've been studying together the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are continuing now in this, in, in this, in this vein. Now remember Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, we did the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus from John chapter three. Monday night was the shepherding ministry of the Lord Jesus from John 10. And then last night was the cleansing ministry of the Lord Jesus from Luke 17 and those 10 lepers, either with the nine or with the one. And so tonight we'll have another message from the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And then again, Thursday and Friday night. Next week in Henderson, we'll be moving into the second coming of Christ. I may, uh, I may do Sunday morning and Sunday night on the crucifixion, which, uh, which uh, I'd love to do those messages here maybe another time, but you'll be here, and so I'll deal more with the crucifixion on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Monday night, going right into the full five nights of prophecy of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't want you to miss any of that. If you're planning to come over, we'd love to have you, and we'll talk a lot about the second coming, and we're going to put all the signs that uh, all the world events we're seeing today with their particular biblical prophecy signs, and we'll just have a great week 
And so this week, first coming, next week, second coming, and so join us if you can. And so appreciate all that good music tonight. We appreciate you, uh, your stand on good godly music, and we're just uh, praising the Lord for these opportunities to be with you. And my wife's going to come now, and she's always with me. <laughs> and so she'll share another of her sacred recitations, and then we're getting right into the preaching. Amen. <laughs> Tomorrow, he promised his conscience. Tomorrow, I mean to believe. Tomorrow, I'll think as I ought to. Tomorrow, my Savior receive. Tomorrow, I'll conquer the habits that hold me from heaven away. And ever his conscience repeated one word and one only. Today, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Thus day after day it went on. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Till youth with its vision was gone. Till age and his passions had written the message of fate on his brow. And forth from the shadows came death with the pitiless syllable, now. There are some somber, sobering, serious thoughts there. I trust you're ready for death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, death is a reality. Death is a reality that every one of us must face. You are not promised tomorrow. Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So, Father in heaven, we just rejoice in all your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings we had there at Renee and Joseph's house tonight and the kids and the wonderful dinner. Thank you for all this wonderful music. Bless this recitation. Now the word of God. We pray, Lord, you'd speak to every heart. There's something here for everyone. If there are those that are not yet saved, we pray tonight. We'll be the night of their born-again, saved, converted experience. We pray, Lord, that you would bless believers tonight and the challenges that we'll receive from this passage. And so we just commit it to you and all the results and the fruit to you. We give you glory for whatever you're going to accomplish in every heart and life. In, in the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Many years ago... I was preaching in that island of St. Vincent. If you remember that island with Or Lewis and his straying sheep, you remember that place? It was the same place, and I was down there in another city that on that island, and, and I take a walk every day. Some of you know that. I try to walk for an hour and a half uh, or an hour every day. That's my main prayer time, my prayer walk, my closet, and I'm there in a wea, or no, in, the, in St. Vincent, and I'm walking along, and I look, and there is a eight-year-old girl up in a tree. I mean, she's way up there. And so I'm having a little fun with her, and, and so I just shouted at her, and I said, Zacchaeus! And she looked at me with a smile from grin to grin. You come down. Well, she knew the story. She knew the account. I was in the Marshall Islands. Marshall Islands, out there in the South Pacific, and similar situation. I'm taking my walk. And there's a boy up in a tree. I said, man, this, I'm going to do this again, you know. And so I said, Zacchaeus. And he says, my name's not Zacchaeus. 
I said, well, do you, do you know Zacchaeus? He goes, no, where does he live? <laughs> I said, he lives in Jericho. Do you know where that is? Never heard of it. <laughs> it was interesting. The girl knew the biblical account, and that boy didn't. <laughs> so he didn't have any Bible training there. But, uh, but you know, there's an adult version of that great account. I mean, we sing the Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know that we know it's a kiddie story, <laughs> but did you know there's an adult version of that account? It's in Luke 19. So let's turn there for the changing ministry of the Lord Jesus tonight. The Lord Jesus who's touching and changing lives. We mentioned last night that the Lord is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the Passover feast. And he this time will become the Passover lamb, slain for the sins and sinners of the world. He's going to the cross. He made his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. He is heading for the cross, but he's touching and changing lives all the way. Last night we saw him literally changing the lives of ten lepers. They were going to be completely healed of their leprosy and their lives will be dramatically changed from that point forth as they would be declared clean by the Levitical priesthood. Only one returned to give glory to God, and we talked about that last night and what it means as a believer to live for the glory of God and all of the admonitions and challenges we gave you at the end of that message. But here we find the Lord now makes his way to Jericho. In Luke 19.1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. All of the Jews from Galilee heading for the Passover feast are going to go through Jericho. We gave you that route last night, the highway along the border of Galilee and Samaria. No Jew is going to go directly through Samaria, although it will be a lot quicker. It's a more direct route. But because of the animosity, because of the great uh, prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans, Jews would go east on that highway, go down through Decapolis and Perea, cross back over the Jordan River into Jericho. Jericho is the staging area for the final trek uphill to Jerusalem. And so thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish pilgrims are going to spend a day in Jericho. And they're going to do that because they've got to rest up. They're going to resupply their water and get their victuals for that trip up the mountain. You see, Jericho and the Jordan River Valley are the lowest place on the face of the earth. The lowest place on the face of the earth. Jericho is 853 feet below sea level. And they're going to make the 18-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem sits on a mountain. Jerusalem is 2,474 feet high. So you take the 853 and you add the 2474. This is called Bible math. And so now we got to realize these Jews going up to the Passover in Jerusalem are going to go up 3,327 feet uphill. It's all uphill. If you join us on one of our Israel trips, we take that trek. And you'll see... 18 miles. Now with the road situations, it is now, now that it, now it's, it's a little longer, but straight up hill. Can you imagine walking that? Can you imagine your animals or your dear donkey that you're sitting on and he's puffing away and he's sweating because you're going up 
hill. And so Jericho then was the staging area where you rest and you get refreshed and you get ready and prepared for that grueling, uh, cruel trip up the mountain to Jerusalem. So that's where the Lord Jesus is, and that's where thousands upon thousands of other Jews are. The, the village of Jericho is not that big, but it swells in population during the three feasts that are mandatory for every Jewish male to attend Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so the Lord Jesus is in Jericho. Verse 2, we're introduced to the man whose life is going to be changed. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. A man named Zacchaeus. We were introduced Sunday morning to a man named Nicodemus. We'll have other introductions for you as we go along. But here's this man, Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So here's the description of his life. Because he is a publican or a tax collector, he is associated with a group called the Herodians. Now, any time you read through your Gospels, you're going to read about the Pharisees. We talked about them Sunday morning in the description of Nicodemus and the Pharisee movement and when it began and how it degenerated and what it had become. The Sadducees are the second group you're going to meet. And they are basically uh, part of the Sanhedrin. Most of the Sanhedrin were, were Sadducees. Sadducees are the liberals of their day. They are the higher crust of society. They had the biggest homes there in Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees were the separatists. The Sadducees are the liberals. And then you had the Herodians who were in cahoots with the Romans. Of course, you know the Roman Empire conquered the Greeks, and the Romans now have dominated the world at that time. The whole Mediterranean Sea area in Israel is under the dominion of Rome. Israel is being occupied by Roman forces. Most of the Jews hated the Romans, but these were a group of Jewish people who cooperated with the Romans, who worked for the Romans, and they're called the Herodians because of the word Herod, Herod the Great, Herod the Great, who wasn't so great, that Herod the Great died and his three sons, Archelaus and Antipas and Philip, divided up Herod the Great's kingdom. And so you got Herods all over the place, and then you got Herod Agrippa I, who had James the Apostle uh, killed in Acts chapter 12. You have Herod Agrippa II, who Paul the Apostle gave his testimony to in Acts chapter 26. It was Herod Agrippa II who said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And so you cannot read through the Bible, uh, the Gospels, or the book of Acts without coming across all these Herods. Although those who were participants with the Roman government, those who worked for the Roman government were called Herodians. In fact, did you know one of the 12 apostles was a Herodian? Who do you think it was? Matthew. Matthew was also a publican. He was also a tax collector there at Capernaum. And he sat at the receipt of custom in the city of Capernaum. Matthew, writer of the Gospel of Matthew, isn't that right? And so he, he was a Herodian. Working for the Jews, cooperating with the Jews. Can you imagine? There is another group you're going to meet called the Zealots. 
the zealots, they hated the Romans. They did everything they could to make the Romans miserable in Judea. They assassinated many Romans. They were, they were those in, in the underground. They're, they're those who, 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 who ambush Roman garrisons. And there was one of the apostles who was a zealot, Simon Zelotes, Simon the Zealot. So you have a Herodian and you have a zealot being chosen by Christ to be one of the apostles. <laughs> Remarkable, isn't it? Can, can you imagine Simon the Zealot among the party of apostles with Jesus when they come to Capernaum and Jesus says to Matthew, the tax-collecting publican, the Herodian, follow me. I can just imagine Simon Zelotes just came unglued. No, 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 Jesus, not him, not him. He's the one we're fighting. I'd like to assassinate that guy. Oh, no, Lord, if he's in, I'm out. I'm not working with him. You know, the amazing Savior who can take all backgrounds and personalities with all of their weaknesses and all of their political differences, and he can forge a group of men who turn the whole world upside down. You know, we pastors, we've got to do the same thing, don't we? We get all kinds of people come in here. Some of you are pretty strange. Anyway, some of you are really, some of you are really great people. I'm sorry. But you know what? The pastor's got to take people from all different backgrounds and, and personalities. And, and you, you, can you imagine this? The Lord Jesus, he's got a, he's got a doubter. He's got a denier. He's got a traitor. He's got James and John, the two sons of thunder. Can you imagine them at a business meeting. Now, when you think what the Lord Jesus had to work with in those 12 men. And, and, and dear Pastor John, what he's got to work with here. Amen. How the Lord just brings us together in that common denominator, the Lord Jesus. And we put aside our own differences and our opinions, and we just come together under the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the power of God. And a church goes forward. Well, Zacchaeus was a Herodian, and he was the chief, chief among the publicans, among the tax collectors. The publicans were hated by their Jewish countrymen. Not only are they traitors working for and cooperating with the occupying force of Rome, they were full of greed. They were full of cheat. They were dishonest. They stole from the people. They were covetous because Rome would exact so much taxes. All right, let's just say Rome says to you, a hundred shekels is going to be your tax. And then the publicans would come along and say, a hundred and fifty shekels is your tax. And they tell you that, and you'd have to pay it. He said, well, Rome's only asking for 100. Yeah, well, I'm asking 150, and I got a Roman sword here that's going to back me up. So you, you couldn't argue with them. 
If they said 150, you got to pay 150. <laughs> and then the publican pockets the 50 and gives the 100 to the Roman government. And so the publicans were very wealthy because they're cheating their own people. Zacchaeus represents darkness. Traitor. Hated by the public. Totally dishonest. Cheating his own Jewish people. Because this man was dominated by the love of money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Follow every disorder, every immorality. Follow the crime. Follow everything in our society. And you'll trace it back to the love of money. The drug culture. Pornography culture. Gambling. All of it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And this man is epitome. His God is money. <laughs> and because his God is money, God is at the top of this man's value system and he lives in darkness. And he represents all unsaved people who live in darkness. You are in darkness if you're not saved. And your darkness, if you're not careful, is going to send you to hell because Jesus said it in John 3.19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. In Matthew 4, 16, there's a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Those who sat in darkness saw great light. That's where I was. I was sitting in darkness for 20 years of my life, till I saw a great light in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that light sets us free from our darkness. Because darkness and light cannot dwell together. When you receive Christ who is light, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, shall have the light of life. And remember that, my saved, born-again, blood-bought, heaven-bound child of God friend here tonight. Darkness and light cannot dwell together. The Lord Jesus said, your, your eyes either full of darkness, your eye is full of light. You cannot have them both. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't say, well, I'm in the light, but I also like a little bit of darkness. Can't light and darkness dwell, dwell together, my soul? No, it's one or the other. We've got to make our choice, don't we? The Lord Jesus is concerned. The Lord Jesus loves those who are still sitting in darkness. The Lord told us and gave us a mandate in Acts 26, 18. He said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we might show the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Paul told the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, darkness, darkness, Zacchaeus is in darkness. And maybe you're in darkness tonight. And as a believer, make sure you cast off every shred of darkness, Romans 13 tells us. And so here's Zacchaeus. He's not only a publican, he's the chief of the publicans. Somehow he's worked his way up. He's like those who are in the business world today, dog eat dog. They don't care who they trample on. They don't care about being cruel or unkind. They're going to make their way up that corporate ladder. They're heading for that goal of the CEO of this company. They don't care what they have to do, how much they have to cheat or steal or tread over someone else. This man is chief among the publicans which means he not only is a publican himself taking and cheating the people, he gets a cut. He gets a percentage of all the other publicans under him have to give something to Zacchaeus because he's the chief publican. So this is the man we're dealing with. Verse 3, And he, Zacchaeus, sought to see Jesus who he was. You see, by this time, the Lord's on his way to Jerusalem to give himself on the cross and to die in our place and shed his blood and rise again from the dead. So he's at the end now of his earthly ministry. By this time, the Lord Jesus, he, Jesus, now nah, he's a celebrity. Everybody wants to see Jesus. The fame of the Lord Jesus is spread throughout that whole area. Judea, Samaria, people in Samaria want to see him. Galilee. Decapolis, the people of Decapolis throng to see him. The area of Perea, there in Syria, and the Syrophoenician woman knows all about him. His fame has spread. The man who teaches like no other. The man with his powerful miracles. Everybody wants to see him. I wonder if some celebrity came through Las Vegas. Maybe King Charles III. Anybody want to see King Charles? We're going to be in England for all of December. I, I got a lunch date with King Charles. Ah, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't believe that. What if some great sports figure, some great person is coming to Las Vegas, going to be in a parade down Lone Mountain Boulevard or road or wherever this is out here. Well, would you want to see? Well, everybody wanted to see Jesus, though. It's been noise everywhere. Jesus of Nazareth is in Jericho. He's heading up for the Passover and the thousands and thousands that are already there, ready to make the trip up the hill. They hear this and they're all lying in the streets. They all want to see him. So did Zacchaeus. He sought to see Jesus who he was, but he could not for the press, for the multitudes that are all pressed together because he was little of stature and he's trying to get a look and he's going, he's trying to jump up here and he's trying to get between the crowd here. And he can't see. I understand. <laughs> I not only am, I not only 
sympathize. I can empathize with this guy. I resonate with this man. This is good stuff right here. Huh? 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 Brother Roger? Anybody else want to relate to this? Join our short club? <laughs> yeah, I've always been vertically challenged. And uh, grew up, I was just such a, a good boy. My dad kept patting me on the head and saying, you're, you're such a good boy. And, that, and that, that's kind of why I'm short, you know. And beside that, my mother kept feeding me sweet and condensed milk and the... Uh, And my wife, my wife often says it is better to have loved a short man than not to have loved at all. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, see, while I was, while I was such a good boy getting patted on the head, you know, the, the Bob wins, you know them. Bob's not here to defend himself, so I, but you know, people like Bob win, they got patted a different direction, you know, they, <laughs> See, I, I was like this, he was like this, and all you other skyscrapers that are here tonight. Now you know why some are tall and some are small, but listen, this guy cannot see. <laughs> He's jumping all over the place, trying to squeeze in somewhere. He can't get in, he can't see, so this guy, <laughs> he, he's small, but he's smart. <laughs> That's what I like to think of myself. <laughs> I might be small, but I'm smart. <laughs> You don't work harder, you work smarter. <laughs> so he runs before, verse 4, and he climbs up. He climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, why does the Spirit of God want you to know that it was a sycamore tree? Why didn't it just say he, he climbed up the closest tree? The Word of God is the Word of God. Every word is significant. When the Spirit of God chose to write His Word, every word, you got to look at every word. Why a sycamore tree? Well, come to Israel with me and you'll find out. Pastor John, Bob Wynn going with me in January. We'll show you sycamore trees. They're not like regular trees in Israel. Sycamore trees have a big, tall, thick trunk. The, the branches are way up there. In fact, this January, Pastor John, you're coming with me. I'm going to take you to a sycamore tree, and I'm going to video you trying to climb up that tree. And I'm going to send it to Lone Mountain Baptist Church. I said, I said, remember that message about Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree? Well, here's your pastor trying to climb up one of them trees there. You have to have a skill. Now, this, this may be revealing the previous occupation of Zacchaeus, because there were sycamore tree farmers. And the sycamore fruit is different than any other fruit. It's, it's not pollinated by bees. you got to climb up the sycamore tree, and you got to prick each each one of those fruit buds with with some pollination. Every, every, everything has to be picked, pricked. And so these sycamore farmers, they knew how to scurry up a sycamore tree. That may have been the occupation of Zacchaeus because he scurried right up that tree. Not everybody can do that. You have to know how to do that. 
And perhaps he thought, well, being a Herodian and being a publican is far more lucrative than being a sycamore farmer. So he left that career and got his uh, devious career. But he's up there. So he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And here's our tree tonight. <laughs> Look at this. I'm taller than Bob Wynn, man. <laughs> Look at this. I got a view of everything. No more do I need to fight the crowds. I got a ringside seat. And this is the pathway from which Jesus is coming. And that, that must be him. Oh, I've heard so much about him, his teaching, his miracles. Oh, those, those men with him. Those must be those apostles I heard about. And, and, and he's, oh, they're coming down the street. Look at those crowds going wild. And I'm way up here and I can see. And, and here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, he's going to pass right under my tree. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. I can imagine what's going in Zacchaeus is my, why is he stopping here? What's going on? He's stopped right beneath this tree. And then Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus! And Zacchaeus says, ah! <laughs> How does he know my name? There's thousands and thousands of people there. How does he know me? I've never met him before. I've never laid eyes on him in my life. How does he know my name? He knows everyone's name. <laughs> he knows everybody's name. He knows every single detail of your life. Matthew 10.30 says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. The Lord Jesus looks at you. You got, you got 5,343 hairs on your head. <laughs> he knows. The amazing thing is he knows all about Zacchaeus. He knows all about Zacchaeus' darkness. He knows that Zacchaeus's God is his money. And he knows all about Zacchaeus being a traitor and a cheat and a thief and covetous and materialistic, dishonest. He knows all about it. And yet he loves him. How unfathomable is it to think that the Lord could love sinners like you and me with all the skeletons in our closet. Anything in your life you'd be embarrassed or ashamed if the public knew? I got some of those, do you? Terrible regrets. Terrible areas of sin and debauchery that I used to be involved with. Yet there was the Lord Jesus ready to meet me on September 19th, 1976 as a 20-year-old airman in the U.S. Air Force Station in Okinawa, Japan, living for sin, drunk every night. <laughs> Yet he loved me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, not have to go to hell, not to be cast into the lake of fire, but that you might have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth, God demonstrated, God illustrated, God showed his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus doesn't wait for you to clean up your act before he has something to do with you. The Lord Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm giving you a few years to get religious. I'm giving you a few years to give up this or give up that, and then I'll come to know you. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. 
Christ went to the cross in our place to die for those very sins, to shed His blood that you could be forgiven, that all your sin could be washed away, that all of the guilt and shame of your past and your present are all lifted. What a great Savior who rose again from the dead and is alive forevermore. And today, tonight, in this place, He's offering freely by His grace the gift of eternal life. But you must come by faith and receive Him. Receive the gift of eternal life. Appropriate it. Internalize it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Jesus looks up and calls out his name. I tell you what, we had a song about that tonight. Calls on his name in that moment of grace. And here's the message that Jesus has for Zacchaeus, and it's the same message he has for you and me. Zacchaeus! Huh? <laughs> Make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Make haste! No excuses, no delays. Do you know you need to be saved? Do you know you need to meet Jesus Christ tonight? Do you hear the Lord Jesus calling your name tonight? Knows all about you, yet he loves you. Do you hear him calling your name? And he's saying to you, make haste. So many people hear his name. They call, but they make excuses why they can't come. They have delays. Someday, maybe someday I'll get saved. The Lord says, make haste and come down. I love that because it gives validity to an invitation that we give at the end of a gospel message. At the end of this message, I'll be asking you to come down. Would you be willing to leave your seat? Would you be serious enough about your spiritual condition? Would you be enough Faith to step out from where you are. Let God give you the courage to just make your way to the front. Take me by the hand. Say, I want to be saved. I want to be saved tonight. I'm the Zacchaeus in this group here tonight. <laughs> Come down. Wow, can you see Zacchaeus up on his branch? Come down. You mean in front of all these people? <laughs> yeah. Thousands there. How many are watching Jesus call to Zacchaeus? He says, make haste and come down. Yeah, right in front of all these people. All these people are watching. That's right. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> come down. Come down. For today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, today. <laughs> today, I want you to come down today. I want you to make haste today. I want to meet you today. <laughs> Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. <laughs> will you harden your heart to the Lord Jesus tonight, who so loves your soul and died for you and shed his blood for you and rose again from the dead for you, has gone to prepare a place for you where the promise is coming again to get you? <laughs> Would you harden your heart to one who loves you so much? Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, today is the day. Today, now. He said, come down 
for today I must abide at thy house. You know, that's what the Lord Jesus says to every heart. I want to come inside of you. I want to abide in you, in your house, in your soul. And the Lord Jesus never forces his way into anybody's house. He doesn't force his way into your heart and life. He says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The Lord Jesus will never barge his way into your heart and life. You must by faith and volition and open the door of your heart. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will come into your life, your soul, your house of a body. He will come in, but you must open the door of your heart and invite him in. Welcome him in. The door latch of your heart is on the inside. Only you can open it. No one else can open it for you. No religious system can open it. No baptisms or sacraments or laws or traditions can open your heart to the Lord Jesus. You must hear his gospel as you're hearing it tonight. And hear the voice of the Savior calling your name and knocking at the door of your heart. And you must, by faith, open that door and invite him to save your soul to be your Lord and Savior. I must abide at thy house. How will Zacchaeus respond to that great invitation? Verse 6, And he made haste. The Lord Jesus said, Make haste, and he made haste. He made haste and came down. Yes, in front of all those people. He came down and received him joyfully. Wow, that's what we love to see every time we preach the gospel, wouldn't we? We love to see people making haste and coming down and receiving Jesus joyfully. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them and only them, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so Zacchaeus Received him joyfully. Why doesn't everyone receive him joyfully? Because there's a lot of people who stay up in the tree. When the Lord Jesus calls your name and he says, make haste and come down, there are many who do not hear him, do not want to hear. Many people want to stay up in their tree. They don't want to obey him. They don't want to come down and meet him. What keeps people up their tree? Well, fear can keep you up your tree. You remember the largest group of people in hell tonight from Revelation 21.8? Who's number one on the list? The fearful. The fearful are going to the lake of fire. Not the murderers and rapists and drug dealers. Well, they're going too, but number one on the list is the fearful. Don't be afraid to receive the Lord Jesus. Don't be afraid of what anyone else is going to say. Don't be afraid of the changes the Lord will make in your life. Don't let fear keep you up your tree. How about pride? Pride keeps people up their tree. Religious pride. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. He said, well, my religion teaches something else, and I believe something else, and I got my own conjured-up view of God. <laughs> Religious pride has sent so many people to hell. 
They're religious, yes. They're moral, yes. They're operate people, yes. But they're full of religious pride, trusting in their own self-betterment, self-righteous works. And they end up in hell because they've never abandoned self-righteousness. They've never abandoned religion to come to a Savior, the Lord Jesus. You've got to come and humble your heart before Him. Pride will be resisted by God. Humbly come to the cross and invite the flow of the blood that was shed there to cover you and save you. Pride, arrogance. And then, of course, sin keeps people up their tree. Paul the Apostle put it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2.12 that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. People who are in love with sin, they don't want the Lord Jesus to come into their heart and life and interrupt their life of sin. They love their sin. And those people refuse to come down from their tree because they don't want to be cleansed. They don't want to be changed. They don't want to have a dramatic intervention in their lives. So they stay up their tree. I'll never forget down in Guyana. Guyana in South America. It used to be called British Guiana. because It was part of the great British Empire. Then they were given their independence and they changed the name of their country to Guyana, which means land of many rivers. And there are many rivers there. Uh, I've, we've been to Guyana many times, but I'll never forget my first time there back in 1990. And we're preaching back in the bush. I mean, we're preaching in villages that have no electricity, villages that are very, very primitive. And, and what we do, we, we, we bring a, a, of course, back in these days, we had the old double reel film projector, remember? There, 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 there wasn't these fancy things we got today. And so we bring in the projector, we'd hook that up to a car battery <laughs> for the power, <laughs> and then we'd play a Christian flim. Say, what's a flim? That's what we call a film. But they call it a flim. And so they go through the streets of the village. The people from uh, the evangelistic team that we bring in there goes through the streets of that of that village crying out, flim show, flim show! Seven o'clock. And of course, a lot of those people have never seen a flim. <laughs> so they're all curious. And we all show up in a particular village. This one I'm talking about tonight was called 73. See, the communists once ruled Guyana, and all they did was number all the villages. <laughs> all right, so we're in village 73. And after the communist regime fell, they just kept all those numbered villages. And so we're at the... We're at the 73 village rice floor. A lot of rice is grown there, and they have huge cement flooring where they bring their harvested rice to dry in the sun. And so rice floors made a great place to hold an evangelistic crusade. And we'd bring a bunch of chairs in there, and we got a big buckboard that I'm going to preach from, and you got a flim. And here's what we do, folks. We show half of the flim. Get everybody interested in the plot. Because now I'm going to preach. Halfway through the flim, I'm preaching, and I'm preaching the gospel. We're going to give an invitation. We always had about 50 a week come for salvation. And out of that 50, we have a nucleus for a new church. 
And so churches were planted all down that area, what we call Berbice and Quarantine. And so today some of those churches are huge. They're still going today, but they started with the 50 con conversions from the meetings we had that are on the rice floor. And so we shut the phlegm off. I preach. We give the invitation. I say, well, are those people serious? Well, they're going to miss the second half of the phlegm. What do you think? Because <laughs> we're going to take them back here and deal with them for a while. And after the invitation, we show the rest of the phlegm. <laughs> and we did that from village to village to village. <laughs> Very effective. But at the 73 crusade, I'm preaching Sunday through Friday, and I'm preaching Sunday night, and I'm preaching hard. I'm preaching the gospel, because did you know that Guyana is a Hindu nation? Number one, it's the only English-speaking country in South America. So you can go there and not have to learn a language. Number two, the descendants of all the British who brought people from India, Great Britain was over India, and Great Britain was over Guyana, or British Guyana then. So they brought hundreds of East Indian people over to British Guyana to work those sugarcane fields. And now 200 years later, all of their descendants are there. And Hindu mandirs, which is a Hindu temple with a pundit, are all over Guyana. If you want to be a missionary to India but not have to learn Hindi, go to Guyana. You can preach to Hindus all day long right there in South America. And so those are the ones we're reaching. And so Sunday night, a Hindu man comes to me, and he's madder than a hornet. <laughs> he comes to me, he's about 30 years old, with his fiery voice. He says, what gives you the right to leave America and come to our country and tell us that our religion is wrong and that we need your religion? Good question. <laughs> he said, my grandfather was a Hindu. My father was a Hindu. And I'm a Hindu. And I'm rearing my children in Hinduism. What right do you have to come and tell me my religion's wrong and yours is the right one? Number one, I never told him his religion was wrong. <laughs> All I did was preach the supremacy of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I said, your Hindu gods of Vishnu and Krishna are dead and in their graves. Same thing I preach in Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam. Your Buddhist, your Buddha is dead and in his grave. Only the Lord was God come in the flesh. Only the Lord Jesus died and cared enough for your soul and loved your soul. Buddha never loved your soul. I've never had anyone come to me in those places. I got a personal relationship with Buddha. <laughs> I got a personal relationship with Vishnu or Krishna. I said, Jesus Christ is the only true God who took on humanity and loved you enough to go to the cross and poured out his life's blood and died and rose again for your salvation. He's the only one that invites you to have a personal relationship with him. Vishnu's never going to do that. Krishna's never going to do that. None of the other millions of Hindu gods you ever going to... Did I, did I say his religion was wrong? No, I just preach the supremacy, the, the magnificent class all to himself, the unique Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So he comes to me, what well, gives you the right? Uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I told him his name was Tyrone. Tyrone Natu. And I gave him Acts 17.30. 
Say, Tyrone, God loves you. Do you know, Tyrone, God, God could have consumed you a long time ago, and you would deserve it for your sin. But Acts 17.30, in the times of this ignorance, I realize, Tyrone, that you're absolutely ignorant of the Word of God and the Son of God and the salvation He's provided for you. In the times of this ignorance, God winked, God winked at. That doesn't mean God excuses Tyrone's sin. That simply means that God could have consumed you a long time ago. You could be in hell already. And in God's grace and mercy and compassion, He's allowed you to live to this night where you have given an opportunity to hear the saving gospel of Christ and meet the one true and living God and be saved. The times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. For he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. I shared that with Tyrone, and he seemed satisfied with my answer. And he came every single night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. On Thursday night, I preached on Zacchaeus and what keeps you up your tree. And, and Tyrone heard that message. And every night now, he's becoming more friendly to me. Every night now, he's my friend. And we talk every night after the service. And Thursday night after that message, Tyrone comes to me and I said, Tyrone... What's keeping you up your tree? Why won't you come down and meet the Lord Jesus? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, I'm up my tree, and I'm hiding behind the coconuts. I said, Tyrone, yes, you're hiding your face from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. When will you come down and meet the Lord? And with a smile, he said, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, I'll come down from my tree. You really mean it, Tyrone? Tomorrow night! I pray for them all day. <laughs> sure enough, I preached that final message at the 73 Village on Friday night, gave the invitation. Tyrone is the first one down here. Tyrone got wonderfully converted, wonderfully saved, followed the Lord Believer's Baptist, became the right-hand man of that American missionary I was working with. What a great conversion he had. So what keeps, up, what keeps you up your tree? And what strongholds the devil built up in your mind? Do you realize that's how the devil operates? 2 Corinthians 10, 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And we who are of the believers, we who are saved, are praying for lost loved ones and friends, people we work with. And you need to start praying that God would tear down those strongholds in those people's mind. For some people, a, a stronghold, Zacchaeus' stronghold was money and riches. For some, it might be pornography or immorality. Others, it might be anxiousness or worry. Some, they have a stronghold that the devil's built up of fear. You know what? Believers can have strongholds. So you can be here right now, and for years the devil has built a stronghold in your mind, even as a believer, that's hindering your growth and your service for the Lord. A stronghold of anger and temper, short fuse, a stronghold of anxiety or worry, a stronghold of fear, a stronghold of pornography. Do you realize how many men I deal with? 
as a revivalist who confess they're addicted to pornography. And it is an addiction. It's a very strong addiction. It's very hard to break. Once you allow the devil to build up a stronghold in your mind of pornography, that thing grows and solidifies to the place. The only way now you're going to get victory is a supernatural event. You'll never break it now in your own strength. It's gone too far. It's a stronghold and it's hindering you and you know it, whoever you are. Because 50 to 70% of all saved men have dabbled with or are presently looking at internet pornography. It's 50 to 70%. As I look over this group, could be some of you. And you've allowed the devil to continue to produce this stronghold in your mind and now you've gotten yourself into a pit, into a trap that you cannot free yourself from. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Even as a believer, you could be up a tree with strongholds that the devil has produced and is continuing to solidify in your mind and heart. So whether you're a Tyrone and need to come down from your tree and become a true born-again believer, or as a believer who's allowed the devil to build strongholds in your mind, you need the victory. <laughs> you need to have a supernatural power of Christ, and he alone can break that addiction and that fear and that anxiety and worry and that anger and those things that hinder you. And so Zacchaeus comes down, murmuring people when they see someone coming to Jesus, verse 7. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone. Jesus was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Praise God! The Lord is a guest with me, and I'm a sinner. <laughs> Glad the Lord hobnobs with sinners like me. <laughs> sinners like you. <laughs> but verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything by, from any man by false accusation, and you have, Zacchaeus, I restore him fourfold. So is this repentance? No, he's already saved. He's already acknowledged the lordship of Christ, and he is in what we call restitution. There is a difference between repentance and restitution. That's pastor's next Sunday message, as he shares the difference between those two. <laughs> hey, half the battle might be what to preach. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> this man is a saved man. We know that because Jesus says in verse 9, this day is salvation come to this house. <laughs> For as much as he also is a son of Abraham, not just a physical descendant of Abraham and automatically right with God like we saw with Nicodemus. you you got to go to Romans 4, verses 16 and 22 to understand what Jesus meant when Jesus said he also is a son of Abraham. So you want to make that note in your margin, Romans 4, 16 through 22, and you'll find out who is a true son of Abraham. <laughs> Salvation's already come to this man. But look at the change. That's the changing ministry of Christ. 
Wouldn't it be something if Zacchaeus woke up that morning and somebody said, by the end of this evening, Zacchaeus, you're going to give half of all of your wealth to the poor. <laughs> and the farthest thing from it. Who would have known that he got up that morning? All those people you cheated, you're going to pay them back fourfold of what you cheated them out. Oh, you know, that's, that's preposterous. <laughs> Amazing how Jesus could change somebody this radically, this soon. <laughs> That morning he was sitting in his total darkness. Money was his God. And now he is absolutely changed. The transformation that Christ makes in a life is absolutely miraculous. Happened with me. Happened with some of you. I'm not the same man I was before I was saved. I'm two totally different people. Isn't it right, Pastor John? <laughs> two totally different people. I'm not the man I once was. Because I met the Savior, and he called out my name, and I came down from the tree, and God, by his grace, gave me everything I needed to believe and to repent and to receive him. All of grace. And the Lord Jesus changed me so dramatically and so radically, and I know what he did for me, he can do for you. Who are you? Any Zacchaeus is here tonight, anyone that needs this change, what a change in this man's life. What is he saying in verse 8? Money is no longer my God. <laughs> no longer will the love of money dominate my thinking and dominate my behavior. I've now come to the Lord Jesus, and now this money means nothing to me anymore. Half of it I give to the poor. Anybody I cheated, I'll pay them back fourfold. I'd love to have seen Zacchaeus going to all these people in Jericho. <laughs> Do you remember when I cheated you on your taxes last year? Do you remember I charged you 50 more? Here's 200 shekels. <laughs> Pays them fourfold of what he cheated them. That is change. That is what Jesus Christ does in a life in his case, it was a monetary thing, but in your case, it might be something else that is binding you and hindering you and keeping you in a prison house. You're in the slavery of that thing. You're a slave. The Lord Jesus offers you freedom. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. John chapter 8. So whether you're in need of a salvation experience with the Lord Jesus or you're a believer in need of a boost in your sanctification tonight, if you need salvation, or if you need sanctification, if you need regeneration, or if you need restoration, whoever you are, let God do a work in your heart tonight. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for this great account, the adult version of the story of Zacchaeus. And we're glad, Lord, that you said in... Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, only you know those in this room tonight who are still sitting in darkness. They're still lost. Something keeps them up their tree. And the devil has built some kind of stronghold in their mind and soul and life to keep them from coming to you. But tonight, may they know that miracle touch of the Lord Jesus. May they know that they can come to you and that you will love them and meet them where they are, that you love them too much to leave them in a hell-bound condition, 
You love the backslider too much to leave him in that backslidden condition. You've brought us here tonight to hear this message, and whatever response we need to give you, may we give it. And Lord, as we have this invitation time, we invite anyone who's not sure that if they die tonight, they go to heaven. They're not sure they've been saved. They're not sure they've been forgiven. They're not sure that they have a personal relationship with you. They know about you, but they don't know you. Help them to come even tonight. We're not asking them to join this church. We're asking them to get saved. We're asking them to come down and meet you personally, that you might forgive them and save their soul and give to them the gift of eternal life tonight. Bless us, Lord. Give courage and faith to somebody to just step out as we begin singing. Just meet us here at the front. Maybe they're with a friend. I have no idea who's here. Maybe there's some that would be willing to go with them and bring them together to the front. Well, Lord, whatever it is you want to do, and I pray for believers who need some kind of miracle touch to free them from a stronghold. They've allowed the devil to build in their mind or their heart, whatever that stronghold may be. Maybe they'll just come to this old-fashioned altar and call unto you for deliverance, for this thing is too strong for them but you have the strength to break it. Bless us now in Christ's name. Amen.